thank you very much, Tiffany, for joining me again. Um, you were the listener's choice uh, of 2020, so I'm excited Yay! to have you back. For those who didn't tune into the last episode, which they really should, uh, maybe you could just break the ice by giving us a little bit of info about yourself and what it is that you do and how you ended up doing it, etc. Okay, so I'm a corporate copywriter by day job and a corporate trainer by also day job uh, and a warrior and sleepless nighter by night job uh, like everyone else during 2020, 2021. Um, but I started writing for money in 1997 when I was in grade 11. Uh, the very first job that I ever did was for a small printing company. Um, I'll tell you the story of how that happened, but I was 16 and I got paid 300 bucks and uh, I worked through the night and I delivered the job the next morning and I didn't go to school. Um, so I gave double maths a skip and <laughs> submitted the job instead. Um, and I'll, I'll give you the story of, of how that happened shortly. But uh, yeah, I've been writing ever since and writing as a freelancer uh, for 16 years. So I started in 2005 and I never looked back. The, the moving into corporate and commercial and financial work has been reasonably new in that it, it was probably the, the last eight or nine of, of the 16 years. Yeah. And uh, I do it because because I love it and I'm good at it and the money is good and very few writers specialize in corporate and commercial work. And it's very, very strategic and I love the variety. So that's why I do it. Awesome. Do you want to expand on your story or is that going to be? Uh, no, I'll, I'll tell you the story now. <laughs> um, what happened was my mom had a friend who owned a small printing company. And he was doing a printing job for the National Airline, for SAA. And when the work came in, the print-ready files came in for him to print, he read the copy that had been supplied by an agency whose name I will not mention. And it was utter shit. It was full of mistakes. It was, it was obviously like a half-assed, rushed. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why it was so bad, but it was bad enough that this guy, who was not a writer himself, could spot the problem. And, and because it was so late in the game and the deadline was so tight the only person he knew who could spell really well was grade 11 me <laughs> so he phoned my mom and, and he said can we ask Tiffany just to fix this up overnight and I'll give her 300 bucks and if she can just submit it tomorrow morning then we can go to print with with this job this massive massive job for SA and I did it um and I did proof it and fix the errors and fix the spelling and spacing and all the weird stuff that was in there but a lot of it was plagiarized from a resource on the internet. So I rewrote a lot of it as original copy. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, <laughs> but that is what happened. And uh, I submitted the work to him and I got my 300 bucks, which was an enormous sum of money. And this particular job ran on SAA for seven years. Wow. So seven years later, when when I would fly on, on SAA International, I would say to the, the flight attendants, you see this copy here, I wrote this. And they'd be like, yeah, of course you wrote this. Whatever. <laughs> um, but that, that was the very first job. And funnily enough, that guy, the printing guy, is the guy that I worked for in my very first job out of my honors degree. Mm. He owned a small publishing company by then. I went to work for him. And I spent three years with him before I went on my own. Awesome. So it was a very weird circle. Now, it's interesting that you say about plagiarism, because I also worked for a large corporate company, which shall remain unnamed, uh, and they hired a copywriter. All the copy that she produced was, like you say, um, plagiarized. It was copy pasted straight off the internet from other resources. And you could see it because 
she obviously had several different resources that she'd used and the tone was all different and the, the spelling was Americanized in some sentences and, and uh, British spelling in another. And this kind of maybe is a good segue into the very first question. Copywriting is often confused with copywriting. So W-R-I-T-I-N-G and copywriting, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. And that tends to create a fair amount of confusion because obviously the one is kind of protecting you against plagiarism and the other one is creation of a written product. I have been asked when I tell people what I do and I say I copyright, um, they immediately kind of switch to the, the legal aspect. The, um, yep. So please, please, for the love of God, could you explain why it's called copy? So it comes <laughs> from Latin. The word copy comes from Latin. It comes from the Latin word for written transcription. So copy is any written matter. And in the old days, you know, when they used to print newspapers with printing presses, um, copy was what whatever you created in writing that was intended to be reproduced in written form. So if you were going to print it in the newspaper or in an ad and make multiple copies of it, it was called copy. But copy is not what a copywriter writes. A copywriter writes ad copy or marketing copy or web copy or social media copy, not just copy, because copy by itself is news. Okay, copy is not words. Copy is not a synonym for words. Copy is a synonym for news reproduced in periodicals. Mm. So that's the definition of the word copy. That's why it's called copy. The yeah. problem is that when we, you and me, tell people what we do for a living, they say they think we're in law. So they think that they can give us their idea and then we can copyright it. Ideas can't be copyrighted, firstly, but that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. So what is copyright, the R-I-G-H-T one? It's, it's intellectual property protection. That's what it is. It's IP protection. So if you create an original work, whether it's a novel, a poem, a photo, a drawing, a design, a, a piece of music, a song, whatever it is, copyright is your right to protect other people from copying it without your permission. So they can't copy it. They can't change it. They can't amend it, revise it, share it, sell it, license it whatever yeah that's copyright and it has absolutely nothing to do with copy <laughs> <laughs> it's just prevention against copying so yeah i mean look it would be nice to call it something else so yeah. to avoid the confusion but um it is what it is and so copywriting uh, is not i don't use copywriter to describe myself if i'm well i do but if i'm talking to people who don't know me well or who don't know my industry well I usually won't say I'm a copywriter because they don't understand what that means. So I'll normally say I'm a writer and then they'll say, what do you write? And then I'll say, you know, adverts, copy. radio commercials, <laughs> video scripts. No, no, never say copy. <laughs> Rookie error. Never say copy. Now, in my experience across both big and small business, well-written copy is hugely, hugely underrated. It's almost as though the old cliche of a picture is worth a thousand words is taken a little too literally. And a lot of time and efforts and money is spent on the graphic design and the, the visual aspect of a brand and its marketing, uh, with, coffin, with copy often being placed on the back burner. And it's quite challenging to convince those who control budgets to fork out money for a couple of words. So could you delve into why copy is as, if not more important, uh, than the visual aspect of branding and marketing? So the visuals are, are core because that's what you see first, right? So the visuals get attention. Um, and the visuals are critical because they convey the, style, the visual style and aesthetic of the brand. But without words, uh, you said a couple of words, without words, <laughs> the consumer doesn't know what to do with the visuals. Mm. They don't know what to do next. 
So there's nothing to guide them. And so that's why I believe words are the sales engine. And the only people who place copy on the back burner are people who don't really understand messaging. So that's, um, that's a, a short, a short condem blanket condemnation of those who undermine <laughs> the copy. I don't know if uh, you've experienced, I've done a couple of jobs for um, web writing where the, the designer that I work with has been really good in trying to twist arms to try and get these people to actually get a proper writer to write their web content uh, because they're willing to spend big bucks on the on the visual aspect and making sure of functionality and user, user experience and all that kind of thing. But then they'll sit on a Saturday afternoon and bang out their own words uh, that go onto this beautifully designed website. And often it's, um, it, you know, it detracts and it affects your SEO and all that kind of other jazz. I don't know if you've experienced that. And then maybe, I don't know, how do you convince somebody that words are important? <laughs> uh, the short answer is I don't. I'll explain that in a sec. So I work like you with a lot of um, a lot of designers, so graphic designers, web designers, web developers. And the guys that I work with, the guys and girls that I work with, will often have to work quite hard to convince their clients to use a copywriter in addition to the designer and the developer. Um, because as you say, the client will either think they can do it themselves on a Saturday afternoon, or they'll use the old shit they had before, or they'll plagiarize someone else's site, or they'll expect the designer or developer to write it. But the reason that I don't convince people to hire a professional copywriter is because that's not my market. My market is people who already know they need a professional copywriter. I'm not going to spend time and energy trying to convince you. If you don't think copy is important, you know, that isn't already a priority, then we aren't coming from the same place. Mm. And so I'm not going to work hard to bring you over to my side of the fence. I want to spend time working with people who are already on my side of the fence. There's no fun trying to convince a client they need professional writing and then giving them professional writing and then they still don't understand the value. Like it's it's a it's a horrible rabbit hole and I don't I don't go there. Yeah. So I will often talk about the importance of professional copy on social media or you know on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Facebook or wherever at conferences. I'll often talk about it, but my job is not conversion. Mm. Um, because then we are we are we are not a good fit. When it comes to decent writing, now I've, I'm a decent writer. I'm not like Shakespeare, but I'm I'm certainly able to string a coherent sentence together. But if we had to do the deeper dive into like the fine intricacies of language, I'm really not the greatest. I have a friend who is a, an English teacher, and often she she speaks to me, and a lot of what she says kind of goes over my head. Um, what I believe my particular gift is when it comes to writing coffee uh, is that I can create writing that resonates with people. You know, I'm able to deconstruct or reverse engineer complex ideas and explain it in a way that people understand. And that kind of ability is a connection between the audience and whatever the, the message is, uh, kind of increases the, the value of the message. But in the same breath, Apps such as Grammarly um, and, well, there's myriad others on uh, available for free on the internet, allow non-writers to up their game in terms of their grammar and spelling, etc. But quite frankly, a crap writer using Grammarly is going to still be a crap writer, just with half-decent spelling and grammar. So there is obviously a minimum threshold in copywriting when it comes to spelling and grammar, but how important is high-level language in comparison to the message being conveyed? So look, I, I don't think that high-level language is a thing anymore. I mean, certainly not in the copywriting space. Shakespeare 
notwithstanding his great genius, would not be an effective copywriter today because A, most people wouldn't know what he was talking about. B, he would be unable to get to the point. C, the creative director would never sign off all that waffle. And D, it wouldn't fit onto the page. (laughs) So high-level language usage, by and large, is wasted in modern copywriting. And when I say high-level language usage, I mean convoluted phrasing, overly elaborate words, old-fashioned language choices, um, stuff that might be considered rhythmic and beautiful in some very, very small context is not going to convince a consumer to act or to believe or to feel or to think. And it's certainly not going to resonate with them on any kind of human level. Now, I'm not saying we have to dumb stuff down, but I I am saying that the goal is not high-level language. The goal is high-quality language. And Mm. high-quality language is clean and simple. So on that note, a crap writer using Grammarly is still going to be a crap writer. They're just going to have, you know, half decent spelling and mediocre grammar. The thing (laughs) is that a copywriter who has excellent language skills, now not a person who has excellent language skills, a copywriter with excellent language skills has more bullets in their gun creatively because they can massage words and Mm. concepts and sentences and make them work harder for the message. So the bigger your vocabulary and, and the more intricacies of language you have at your disposal, you'll create more interesting work. And the quality of that copywriter's copy will be higher because the proofing and editing has already been done. So they can charge more. So a lot of people think that copywriters are editors and editors are copywriters. That is not the case. Most copywriters can't spell all that well. Their concepts are great. Mm. The copywriters who can spell tend to be the ones who are the slightly more, dare I say, elegant ones, the elegant, poetic, lyrical ones, whose writing, like Shakespeare's, is very beautiful, but those writers are less well-versed in what I call craft. And the ones who are expert in craft tend to be good at the structure, the genre, the style, the tone, the norms, the rhythms, etc. And there's a need for both in the world, but there is certainly more work for the craft copywriters than there is for the lyrical ones. So yeah, Grammarly is not going to save you, unfortunately, and neither is being an English teacher, because you can be an English teacher with no craft. Yes, yeah. In my experience, intelligent people have got the, they grasp concepts without knowing what they're called. And I'm not just speaking about language. I'm speaking about anything, really. You can grasp a concept mm. without knowing the, the theory behind it. To so, I mean, just to give you an example, an English teacher would know that the thing was called a colon, but a really good copywriter will know that a colon is going to work much harder for you than a full stop, for example, yeah. uh, on a billboard. But because the copywriter, who knows language will know that colons introduce an explanation. So you can leave out a lot of words when you know what punctuation really does. And then you make your writing tighter and then, you know, then it all becomes much more interesting. But um, yeah, I think that, I think that the better your language skills, the more ammo you have. I don't know that I've ever met a truly exceptional copywriter who's not always trying to learn about grammar. Now, speaking of, that maybe this is a good um, way to flow into the discussion around originality in the creative sector. I do a lot of research into creativity and I'm actually, as I mentioned to you the other day, putting a course together about um, how, how people can bump up their creativity. But overall, I think there is a lack of originality in the creative sector. And is this because we've already kind of leveraged all the most creative ideas or have creatives simply been pushed into a corner with ever more restrictive personas and CIs and briefs that make it difficult for them to think outside the norm when it comes to marketing strategy and collateral? Uh, you know, is it still possible to come up with truly unique ideas or is the golden age of creative marketing kind of like the golden age of the silver screen? Is it behind us? 
Have we seen everything that needs to be seen? <laughs> so it, it will probably surprise you because you know me. It'll probably surprise you not at all um, when I say that I completely disagree that all the creative ideas have already been taken. If you just look at COVID-19 pandemic memes or the South African sense of humor in a crisis, it becomes very obvious that, you know, that there is still something new left under the sun. Mm. The problem is that, yes, creatives do get um, hamstrung by brand personas and CIs and creative directors who won't let them go balls to the wall. That is an issue. Um, and I find every week I'll sort of have a little tantrum because what companies think they want and what they're actually brave enough to tolerate are two very different things. Mm. So they'll often come to me and say, we want something really disruptive, but they really don't. They want the same shit everybody else wants because they're too scared to do anything really disruptive. Yeah. So yes, that does hamstring how creative you can be. But I also think uh, there's a lot of new stuff coming out of, of certain creative shadows in our industry. And I think that just because formulae exist, and I, I mean, there's, problem agitate solution. I absolutely love it. I use it all the time. There's a, there's a lot of formulae that work that we use. But just because they exist doesn't mean there's nothing else out there and doesn't mean that you can't twist stuff and tweak stuff and recreate stuff and repurpose stuff and, and all of yeah. that. Um, so in terms of your question, is it possible to come up with truly unique ideas? Yeah, absolutely. But it depends on two things. It depends on the kind of writer you are and it depends on who you work for. Mm. Because, you know, if you work for a client that thinks they want uniqueness but doesn't really, then you're not going to be able to produce uniqueness. And if you're the kind of writer who is too scared to go beyond formulae and parameters and borders, then it's going to be very hard to come up with something sexy. Yeah. Um, having said that, my method or my process for unique ideas is not sexy at all. It's very left brain. Um, so it's about understanding the objective of the copy and then taking risks. It's a very linear process. It's not, you know, I don't sort of sit down and do creative breathing through alternating nostrils. And then, it's, you know, it's very much a what is the objective of the copy and then how many risks can I get away with? Um, <laughs> and then if I need to rein it in afterwards, once the client's panicked, then I can. But yeah. I typically go balls to the wall and apologize afterwards. <laughs> uh, one of my quickfire questions actually fits in uh, really well here. I'm going to ask you now. Could you explain your creative process? Because uh, I'm obsessed with watching how people work and seeing how they come up with ideas because everyone's way is slightly different. And it blows my mind how certain individuals, like I, during the lockdown, was watching Mike Shinoda of, um, of Linkin Park and the way he created music online. And he's still coming up with new ideas on how to create music. So it's, it's really interesting to see people's creative processes. They're all so different. So would you be able to delve into your creative process? Yeah. Unless I it's mean, a safe secret. It, it... <laughs> no, definitely not. You know me. You know me. If all the cards on the table, take it all. I wish it was sexy. I wish I had a really sexy process that I could uh, that I could share with you I don't I'm going to be honest rather than uh, rather than sexy um again left brain process so the thing that gets my brain ticking over is research um mm. so when confronted with a writing job um or a, a, a it all begins with the one the one main message so research gets my brain going and list making so while doing research I make lists I do the lists by hand so everything happens with a pencil that has an eraser on the end and people always say, what about a pen? What about a clutch pencil? What about a Sharpie? No, it has to be a pencil and there has to be an eraser on the end. Like it cannot be, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got like seven. Yeah. <laughs> in, in 
arm's reach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has to be on paper. And please don't tell me I must do it on a tablet with that magic pen or like, you know, in a no, not a blackboard, not a, a chart. It has to be in my notebook, which is over here. And uh, that's that's the process. And then once I've started doing the prep, the research, the list making, the ordering of my thoughts, and it's not a it's not a, a mind mappy sort of. It doesn't look mind mappy because I'm a left brain and not a right brain. It's very like bullet points. Yeah. Um. Once I've done that, once I've sort of opened the door, then as soon as my brain starts to quiet down a little bit, and really it does happen while I'm driving in the shower, while I'm doing yoga, if I'm having a massage, mm. like when my brain is empty-ish, then the magic ideas come in, but only once the research has been done. Yeah. And once the, the preps. So that's my process really. And then I, I will often leave myself voice notes because mm. I get the magic ideas at inconvenient times. So I'll, I'll uh, send myself voice notes or um, leave myself messages with the, with the magic idea. And then back at my desk in a seated position in front of the computer, then I start sort of banging out the thing. Then I clean it up and fine tune it. And, and then I go back to the brief to check that's that everything's yeah. there. So yeah. I'm a very, very left brain process driven, you know, I, I'm not a like snort a line of Coke and change the world. It's not. Yes. Not yeah. Um, I think that yeah. uh, creatives have got a bit of a bad rap um, because people think they do, you know, uh, here's the brief. What are you going to do? Um, go and lie on the couch and think about it. No, like, no, you're going to go and start looking at the competitors or, or you know, yeah, researching totally. something. Um, yeah. And there's very much a, I like to compare it to coding. Uh, like when you, when you code, I don't know if you've ever done coding in your life, but um I tried it once. They were teaching it to my kid at school and I didn't know what the hell was going on. So my husband and I went off for a four-week course. Um, and by the end of it, he could make a whole little bubble jump up and down and change color. And I was like completely yeah. bamboozled. So I think we can agree that I don't I don't have a coding brain. I have an eating brain and a sleeping brain and a reading brain. Coding, it's basically, um, you know, they describe it as you've got a, a start point and an end point. And there are many different routes to get to uh, you can go you turn out of your house and you turn right and you go around the block four times and you end up at your destination three kilometers away or you can turn left and you end up at the same place but it's two different routes but the most elegant way of getting from point a to point b is the most direct and that's mm. um in in coding uh that's kind of what people want they want the the, the they call it beautiful code get to point a yeah you don't want b. bloated code I yeah get it. totally get it. um and i i find creativity is like that as well you you need to feed your brain with like crap loads of research and information and data and your brain as you say when you are not expecting it will make connections that you don't mm. um that you wouldn't and a lot of people i think as well they, they either think you're snorting cocaine and getting uh, you know um getting wasted on on uh, weed like every second night and coming up with these amazing ideas or um, that you sit down at your computer and you immediately are able to to sit and, and come up with these amazing ideas. And that's not what it is. It's kind of a little bit of research, a little bit of your process, whatever that is. And the mixture of the two comes out with your energy. Yeah, um, that is completely true. But I think in my case, if we go back to your coding analogy, I need a lot of bloated code at first in order to get the beautiful code out of the bloated code. Like I can't get the beautiful, the beautiful code doesn't come by itself. Of course, yes. I need a lot of bloated code. Like there has to be a lot of, 
a lot of shit on the page in order for me to isolate the one golden nugget. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't, I very seldom will get that golden. I mean, it has happened, but it's happened so seldom in my career that I can remember the over 16 years, it's probably happened 30 times ever that I've just had this bolt of lightning driving away from the first meeting and I've just known what, you know, what the answer was. Yeah. That doesn't happen all that much, maybe once or twice a year, if you're lucky. The rest of the time, it's a whole load of shit on a page and then you see the, the you see the glimmers of gold so, and then you go in and you pull that bastard out. So the challenge that I face is you sit down with a client and they want like 50 ideas right off the top of your head. And I can come up with maybe five or six, but they might not be the best idea to suit your need. And, you know, they write you off immediately because you didn't come up with that kind of million dollar idea. But that million dollar idea takes a while to develop. I, I don't do that. Like, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a couple of good ideas in the first engagement off the top of my head, but they won't be they won't be the answer. There'll be a a, a taste of what the answer might be and then when we scope the job I'll be very particular about how many options you get like if it's if I'm coming up with a with a slogan or a tagline I'll offer between five and eight options and then I'll tell them that in round two we're either going to go with one of the options from the five to eight that I supplied or we're going to go with a version of one of the five to eight options so I can combine two into something else or you know so we're not yeah. endlessly going round in circles and then I often do name generation for clients. So I'll help them come up with names for companies or products or whatever. And there it's usually three to five name options with rationales in round one. And then I'll extend that by another three to five name options with rationales in round two. And then we are done. If I can't get it in 10 attempts, yeah. you need to try someone else. Like then yeah. we're not, you know, we're not getting there. No, for sure. Um, I mean, when it comes to clients, you do have to, uh, you know, make a a, a cutoff but I find when I'm doing my own work as well I don't know when to press publish you know you kind of tinker and you tinker and you tinker and you tinker and you come up with this well let me put it this way I'm creating this presentation about creative thinking I did the first run through and it was it was okay and I tweaked it and I've come up with a really good analogy which I've now slotted in makes it more understandable I've now gone back for a third and a fourth and fifth time to tweak and tweak and tweak when do you eventually say, listen, like this thing has to be published? It's when not you run out of time. <laughs> you need a deadline. Otherwise, you're going to be busy with this forever. So you need to put a line in the sand for yourself and say, I'm launching the, the beta version of this thing on the 5th of February. That's the day. And you have to tell people that's the launch date. <laughs> and then that's, you know, then you have to stop. So just to give you an example, my Rockstar freelancing course, just give the quick background, is a course for people who are wanting to basically make more money from from freelance uh, creative work. I've been working on it for two years. I've, I mean, I must be on version, I don't know, it's, it's 41 lectures, so I must be on version 16 by now. <laughs> and I was changing it this morning. I was in there fiddling with it this morning. But when I decided to launch it, or at least to open it for registration, there was a deadline. And that no. was the deadline, and I had to be done, you know. So please give yourself a deadline. Otherwise you're going to fiddle with this thing forever and you will never launch it and you'll drive yourself mad. And also remember that done is better than perfect. Yeah, I have to yeah. tell myself this all the time because I'm so good at giving this advice to others and I'm so shit at taking it. But <laughs> progress is better than perfect. And if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, you mm. launch too late. So you should be embarrassed. Yeah. It's, <laughs> when, you, when you look back in two years at the first version of your creativity workshop, you should be embarrassed by how shit it is yeah. and how, how shit it was and how great it is now. 
I've already done the first version presentation twice to, well, blood relation test audiences. My poor family have to sit through all of this, my, my hairbrain schemes, bless them. But yeah, I'm, uh, I do have an actual test audience of small business owners coming up. So um, there, is a, there is a cutoff date and I have to have it ready by, by that presentation date, obviously. But then there's obviously going to be further tweaks. Yeah. Maybe the feedback is that it's really, really shit. And, uh, you know, I should just stay behind my computer and not speak to other people. But, um, you know, I suppose that that's a risk you're going to have to take if you want to create this thing. You're not, you're not going to know unless you let someone see it. Yeah, someone yeah. who's not family and you want to know because you don't want to invest more time and energy it's very unlikely that people will say it's shit tank the whole thing they yeah. won't they'll give you they'll either give you very constructive feedback which will improve it or they'll say it's amazing and my advice would be just do it if i were to wait until i knew everything about launching an online course on freelancing to do it i'd never do it because i will never know all there is to know about those fucking funnels <laughs> 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 the bane of my life is funnels. <laughs> I'm so tired of a funnel analogy. Um, I, I actually have it written down somewhere. Please come up with a new analogy because I can't do it anymore. No, I can't for funnels. The word <laughs> funnel makes like makes me want to vomit. <laughs> and when I hear um, customer journey and automation triggers, no, I can vomit, vomit. Touch points. Anyway, let's not go. <laughs> no, fuck. Conversion copywriting. No. <laughs> List of a copy. No. <laughs> I don't want to. Leave me no. alone. Hashtag Spe push marketing. Fuck off. Uh, speaking of uh, all of those um, fancy terms, uh, what would you say is the number one skill required to become a decent, if not world-class copywriter? And do you have any suggestions on how one comes oh. developing the skill? Like, that's a really wide topic because, you know, which know, market are you writing I have for? A, I have a really long answer. I'm sorry. Yes. It's going to be a long answer. So, I love long answers. <laughs> so, look, I believe... And I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit a bit hoo ha and a bit naff now. So I'm sorry. Like I'm gonna go a bit self developmenty. I believe that you need to find your zone of genius. Okay, it is not enough to to be in your zone of competence, which is the stuff you are decent at, or even your zone of excellence, which is the stuff you're very very good at. Your zone of genius is where the magic happens. It's the shit you love so much you would do it for nothing. Okay, and it's the stuff people keep asking you for. There's enough shit copy out there. We don't need more decent copywriters. We need more exceptional copywriters. If the very best you can be is decent, find something else to do. Having said that, I think that you are using a little bit of imposter syndrome when you describe yourself as decent. It's you trying not to be bullshit, right? Which, which is nice, but false humility is going to get you nowhere. So don't, stop saying decent in reference to yourself. <laughs> um, decent decent's not going to rock anyone's boat and they're certainly not going to open their wallet. So we need more exceptional copywriters. And remember I said previously that there are two types of copywriters. There's the craft specialists who are good at structure and genre and tone. And then there's the, the lyrical, elegant, poetic ones, the Shakespeare-y sort of ones. Yeah. And we need both in the world. But if you are listening to this podcast person out there, and if you want to or think you want to be a copywriter one day, you need to ask yourself a couple of hard questions. One, do you already read a lot? Because if you don't, you know, I don't know if this is the industry for you. Do you love words? Do you love language? Uh, it doesn't have to be all languages. It can be just one or multiple ones. Do you love um, listening to dialogue, either in a podcast or in an audio a recording or in a radio play or on TV? Do you love watching and listening to conversation? If yes to all of those things, then there's a very good chance you have copywriter potential. Um, for older people, 
in other words, those who are already in the workplace, if you're already a language person, and you'll know this because people will constantly come to you for languagey things, then what I would suggest is do a couple of short courses to build your skills and to learn the genres, and then go into the industry and learn the rest on the job. But whether or not you'll prove to be one of the world-class ones that I think the industry needs depends on the raw material that you have inside you and then what you do with it. So I'm not saying that you need to be Shakespeare to be a copywriter, but I am saying that if you don't already read a lot, love words, love language, love conversation, love dialogue, then there might be something else better suited to your skill. Well, I mean, if you don't love reading, I don't know why you'd enjoy writing. So um, that's just my logic. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I often get emails from young people saying, I want to be a copywriter, tell me what to do. And then I'll say, well, tell me what you read. And they don't read. And and then I sort of know that we're not, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for them to build a, a long haul career. Mm. Um, I, you know, you, you could, I mean, but there are other ways to write if you like writing. You can be a content creator. You can be a social media manager. You can be a, there's a million things that include writing. Mm. But copy is a very particular baby. Yeah. And and if you're not having sleepless nights about which and that, um, then maybe it's not for you. While we're speaking about that now, I, I wrote a blog recently about the difference between copy and content. And there is a difference because people tend to get confused and use the two terms interchangeably. Do you want to just maybe give us a quick explanation on the difference between copy and content? Sure. So I'm not trying to suck up to the interviewer here, but I will tell you that I like that article of yours so much. I read it twice. Oh. <laughs> um, so well done. Thank you. Um, I don't remember what the explanation was. I was very impressed with it and I've, I've learned a lot from it, but I can't cite anything concrete now that you've got me on the spot. But I'll tell you my understanding of the difference. Content for me is not driven to achieve an action. So sorry, let me let me give you the positive. So copy is about making people think, do or feel something. Mm. Okay, so you either want them to be impressed or inspired or motivated, or you want them to buy or believe, or you want them to whatever it is. You want copy wants to yield an action in return. Content is there to to achieve much more abstract goals, goals of informing, enlightening, entertaining, inspiring. But it's not it's not driven to produce an outcome. Um, the the even though content is the conversion thing, it's actually copy that that does the work. Yeah. Um, and then also content tends to be much longer and much more esoteric and ethereal. So content exists in a an algorithmic world, in a world of feeds. Copy exists in a concrete world, in a world of packaging and design and billboards and radio jingles. It's a very, very different kind of universe. Yeah. I don't know if that's a very clear answer, but certainly that's how I differentiate between the two. And I do both. But by and large, I produce copy more frequently than content. My kind of workload is kind of split between the two because I, I do feel, especially in the social media zone, where I think that the line between copy and content is blurred because you, in social media particularly, you're trying to create this kind of feeling and grab someone's attention and get them to, on a different level, link to your product or the service. But then often it's driven by a hard sell like buy now or call now or book now um you know so i i do think that there's this kind of gray area where they're too kind of like an estuary where <laughs> like it's kind of two things melding into one and creating this kind of weird middle zone hybridy thing yeah yeah I think I think I mean here's a solution. When it's expensive, let's call it copy, and when it's cheap, let's call it content. Because we are copywriters, so then we make more money if we call it copy. 
Love it there. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that was really interesting. Thank you. I, I enjoyed that conversation a lot. Um, maybe just end off with uh, the, the four quick fire round questions that are left. First question, what is the best piece of writing you've ever created? I don't think it's the best piece of writing I've ever done. I've had a very long career, but one of my favorite projects is a social media project. Um, I recently had the privilege uh, towards the end of last year of working on the new builders campaign, which is hashtag here's to home. Mm-hmm. So get to builders, get it done is the slogan and the campaign is um, here's to home. And you'll see it. Uh, it's a TV commercial. You'll see the billboards. You'll see the little clips on YouTube. It's uh, it's a print campaign. It's, it's a through the line integrated campaign. Mm-hmm. And working on the social media copy for builders um, for this new campaign has been one of the most enjoyable, but also one of the most successful jobs of my career. If we measure it by client satisfaction and by by customer conversion, mm-hmm. so it was a social. I mean, my job wasn't to make the, the the beautiful television ad, which is just exquisite, and you should go look for it if you haven't seen it. My job was to write the social media deck for LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as the YouTube descriptions and the Google Display Network ad copy. Mm-hmm. So it was all the little tiny bitty things that disappear after three seconds. And it was easily one of the most satisfying jobs of my 16 years. I loved every single minute of doing it. It was awesome. also a wonderful client to work with. So yeah, that, that's one of the one of my favorite pieces of writing that I've done. Um, obviously, I have to mention the SAA campaign that I did in 1996. What was it? 1997. Yeah. Um, just because that was my first one ever. And then, I mean, anyone who knows me knows how much I love writing radio commercials. So a lot of the other radio commercials that I've written make me happy when I hear them you know awesome. so those are three of my faves just to come back to the sorry I know this is like supposed to be short questions but just to come back to the social yeah. media I I enjoy writing social media and google ads because they are challenging to do in the space yes. that you have I enjoy that challenge but I just find the lifespan yeah. is not worth the effort so I haven't written google display network ads since since the rules of, of GDN ads changed. So when I was given this job by builders, I had to reteach myself GDN ads because I hadn't written them in two or three years and the and the parameters had evolved. Yeah. And and I find that sort of thing very satisfying. So like mm-hmm. it was like SEO in the old days. Yeah. Where you had to, you know, you had to get your keyword frequency right and your synonyms right. It was a very left brain approach to copywriting which I thoroughly enjoyed and I yeah. think yeah GDN ads now are fun to write I mean they're fun because they're hard whereas I don't find social media writing hard and so I don't find it all that fun but on this campaign it was which is probably why I loved it so much. Uh, where do you turn to for creative inspiration? I am very inspired when I'm in my office it's a very creative space um, obviously this is a podcast so you can't see it but maybe I'll take a photo and send it to you for your for your listeners edification there's a I'll describe what I'm seeing there's a a bookshelf which my husband built for me um with books on it but it's also got a whole lot of weird stuff on it there's um antique theatrical masks there's a whole lot of dictionaries there's a vase there's a lot of skulls one two three four five there's about 12 skulls um there's a couple of my own paintings on there there's a couple of photos um there's uh, four rubber ducks uh, because I often talk about keeping my ducks in a row. <laughs> There's a cat pee spray because we have three cats and and so we have to have cat pee spray. Um, <laughs> there's yeah there's and then on the bottom shelf there's there's a whole lot of piles. So the left hand side pile is scrap paper. Then next to that is admin stuff that I have to file away. Then tax slips. 
you know, so it, it's a, I find looking at this all day very, uh, very inspiring. And then I have a, a mood board over there and I have a whole lot of lists on the cupboard and there's lots of art. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven paintings on the walls. Jeez. <laughs> um, there's a there's a pinning board next to me on an easel. So so it's a very it's a very creative space. I play music in here. I've got a diffuser, so I put um, essential oils in there and smell lemon or whatever. And uh, yeah, I can see the the trees. And there's a there's a wind chime thing that never ever makes sounds because it's under the eaves and there's no wind. So <laughs> it looks very nice, but but it never does anything. Yeah. Um, and then I have a ze- I have a, a zebra print rug shaped like a zebra skin, but I don't believe in animal skin, so it's, it's, not, it's not real skin. And then I also, because I'm so short, when I sit in my office chair, my feet don't touch the ground. They dangle in midair. So I have a little stool, like an old lady stool that I rest my feet on that my <laughs> husband built for me. Oh, and then I have a whole lot of watercolors that I've did over the years over there and some pottery from a pottery, you know, it's, it's a very yeah. creative space. So my office, um, art, my own, other people's, mostly other people's, and then uh, my colleagues. So even though I work alone, largely, I have two associates at the moment, two juniors um, who work with me, one based in the UK and one based just down the road, but we don't ever see each other because obviously that doesn't happen anymore. Um, <laughs> and then I have associates that are that don't work for me that I collaborate with on different things. So there's a strategist, there's a PR person, there's um, a web developer, web designer, a couple of photographers, you know, they they and their output are inspiring and brilliant mm. um, and they make me better. So, so my co- even as a freelancer, my colleagues are very inspiring. Yeah. I find um, when I'm working with someone, like I can come up with really good ideas and uh, my little creativity project that I've got on the, on the go, I think is a good uh, indicator of that. But I love working, especially with the person I work with to do web development um, she's got such good ideas and you kind of feed off each other. And that's mm. one thing I must say that, you know, working on your own, I do miss that because it's not every project that you get to collaborate with somebody like that. Um, I do love working with um, with other creative people. Um, I just find it takes you to like another level and it really pushes you as a, as a creative as well. Question, I don't even know what question we're on now because it's mm-hmm. all tits up um if all the writers tools in the world world suddenly spontaneously combusted except for one what would that one thing be for me it would be pencils with erasers on the end <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. without that i'm fucked but actually i mean that's that's the jokey one but actually the internet because because even if i can't write i need to do research so yeah it would for me it's the internet definitely yeah so so the, the analog answer is pencils with erasers and the digital answer is the internet. Awesome. <laughs> Final question. Uh, what one piece of advice do you wish you'd received when you started copywriting? Ask more questions. I only started following my own briefing process five years into my career. Um, and what I mean by that is I believe that a lot of our clients don't know how to give briefs um, because they've, they've never had to. Why should they know how to give a brief, right? Mm. Um, And so our responsibility, our mandate as copywriters is to take the brief, not to be given the brief. And so I took responsibility for taking briefs about five years in by developing a questionnaire and asking questions in order to understand what was required of me. Mm. And uh, the five years before that, there were a lot of um, jobs that didn't turn out the way they could have. There there were a couple of unhappy clients. Like It took me a long time to realize that the missing link was 
learning or insisting on taking the brief and asking the questions before starting. Yeah. So I wish I had done that sooner. But I mean, when you've been doing this for a hundred million years, like me, <laughs> which is it was only five years where I, I didn't do that. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. the last 10, 11 years I have done it. I, I, wish I'd, I wish I'd known to do that. And then the other thing is never use the word just. I'm not just a copywriter. Never say I'm just a. Nobody's going to want to buy your services if you're just in anything. Mm. Describe yourself by making yourself sound super, super lacquer. Always. False yeah. modesty is bad for you. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, that's something I have to work on. I tend to downplay for fear of sounding, well, not fear of sounding anything. It's kind of like, can I live up to my own yeah. <laughs> but you but you're not you're not saying anything you're not saying anything that's not true like you're not making shit up and also may i point out that as someone who is on very good terms with herself i have no crises of confidence there is certainly no false modesty here humility is not a quality to which i aspire let me rather <laughs> put it that way um and and considering how uh, forward i can be about how good i am you would think that that would be such a massive turnoff that I'd never get any work, but actually it isn't. So no one's saying you have to be as forward as I am, but mm. if the worst that can happen is nothing, why not give it a try? Because yeah. it's not going to, you know. Also, a big part of being confident as a as a service provider is not giving a shit if some people don't like you. Yeah, I'm too much for a lot of people. I think, you know, I think there are people out there who, I'm, I'm not their cup of tea. I'm too opinionated and... I, I'm I, I'm too um, too sure of myself, and I have too many thoughts on things, and I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. I don't I don't have to be for everyone. I just have to be for the people that are you know that get me. Yeah, and that are paying your salary. <laughs> yeah. So what's the worst that can happen if you come across as a bit overconfident? Like what what's what's going to happen then? Yeah. Nothing. On the positive side, you may end up getting work that you would not have otherwise gotten. On the negative side, they might think that you're a bit bullshit. Who gives a shit? <laughs> whatevs yeah. it's not a competition to see who can be the most humble it's a competition to see who can you know love their work the most and make the most money <laughs> <laughs> so remember i started with it's a competition to see who can love their work the most not make the most money necessarily love your work the most loving your work is an infinite game i like an infinite game i don't like a finite game making the most money is a finite game so loving your work the most. like if you can say Shit, you know, I love what I do so much. I'd probably do it for free, but luckily I get paid very well to do it. And that's that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. Awesome. This has been great, Tiffany. I won't take up any more of your time. Um, I will release you back into the wild. And I really appreciate you taking the time again to to chat to me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, where can people find you online? So anyone who wants to follow my madness and opinions can find me on Twitter at Tiffany Markman. Uh, on Facebook, Tiffany Bachman Writing and Editing. There is also a Rockstar Freelancing group on Facebook, which is called Rockstar Freelancing for Real People. There is LinkedIn under Tiffany Markman. There is Instagram, but I will issue a disclaimer. I don't use Instagram for work. I use it to swear and look at pictures of art. So it's very arty and very sweary, and there's not a lot of work stuff happening there. And they can visit my website, which is tiffanymarkman.co.za. Or pop me a mail on tiffany at tiffanymarkman.co.za. Awesome. Uh, I'll include all of those in the show notes. And yeah, um, thanks again for your time. And uh, I'm sure that we'll be doing this again in the future. Cool. No cool. problem. Thanks, Tiffany. Have a good day further. And uh, we'll be in contact. Awesome. Cheers. Well, bye. 
follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.